Welcome in to Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gill here with my guy, Mike Renner from Florida. Flew out to Florida. He's living it up with the work from home environment at PFF. Just living it up on the beach. Are you doing this podcast on the beach, Mike? No, I, not quite. I mean, I'm probably about 100 feet or so from the beach, though, right now. You kind of it's a little too hot right. right now. It's like 90. <laughs> oh, too hot. This is go. what this is what it used to be like before I had to move to Cincinnati. I would just go work from wherever I felt like. Same. It. Yeah, <laughs> very much same coming from San Diego to Cincinnati. But today on the podcast, we're going to do the offensive line overview. We're continuing our positional overview series, looking at all the position groups ahead of the 2021 NFL draft. And we also interviewed former NFL offensive lineman Jeff Schwartz. I thought he was awesome. I know you kind of cut out towards the back end, but he had high praise for Panay Sewell, the Oregon offensive tackle, and also Trey Smith of Tennessee loved what Trey Smith put on tape obviously injuries have kept him from the football field but those are two guys he's very big on also Mike he loves the interview process he finds it very important if an offensive tackle wants it or watches a ton of film so I I don't know go fuck yourself if they got the excel sheet or not he's, he's exactly do you have the excel sheet are you interested in improving like one of the first things he mentioned about Penny Sewell was he wants to be the best, and I find that very valuable at the offensive tackle position or at all positions, really, when you are evaluating prospects. And it kind of brought up, you know, the overall take of development is where there's such a steep curve, you know, a steep difference, a stark difference between teams, not so much the scouting part of it. So it's, it's very interesting. That interview is awesome. That'll be at the back end of the podcast. All right. I will say, so just they- to give my take on that whole topic, and I know I give you shit for it, but <laughs> my thing is there are a lot of – there are a lot of things that drive people like money can drive people like not just because you love the game of football necessarily. Does that mean you're going to work really like that's not the only thing that can make you work really hard at the game of football is all. No, 100%. That. It, it, you it, don't have to just like you don't have to love the game to be motivated and want yes. to you know be great. But like you have to be regardless of what's motivating you, you have to be yeah, motivated. Be I think you'll yes. find prospects that aren't motivated to the point where they're willing to take criticism, where they're willing to put in the extra work to be one of the better players at their respective positions. Like you have to be, and sometimes that intrinsic motivation, wanting to be the best or whatever it may be, can be more powerful and more impactful than some of the extrinsic motivation, like money and those things, especially for young players on rookie contracts. Like you're not negotiating that for a while. And if you were a first round pick, you're going to have that fifth year option tag. You're not going to be hitting a new contract for a long time. So what's motivating you in those, those first few years, especially. So it's an interesting thing to think about for sure. All right, well, let's dive into the offensive line overview and obviously start with Oregon's Penny Sewell. This guy, highest graded offensive lineman in all of college football this past year, had the highest percentage of positively graded run blocks this past year. So good on screens. I, you know, watching his key plays, looking at his positively graded blocks and his negatively graded blocks, what this guy does in space, and that includes moving to the second level, coming out on screens, doing these types of things, is absurd. Like his athleticism, his ankle flexion, flexibility, balance, all of that stuff. Like he is just a rare mover, and you rarely see that at the tackle position. It's a big reason why at 19, 20 years old, he is hands down the top tackle in this class. I don't think it comes close. It's not close. And he's the best tackle prospect we've graded at PFF. And again, that one's not close either. And you said 19, 20 years old. He hasn't turned 20 until October. He is still 19 years old, this guy. He will be drafted at 20 years old, assuming he does come out after the season. would be absolutely insane not to. Uh, Even if, I mean, if he didn't even play a snap this year, he'd be insane not to. He's going to be a top five pick. You can put him in pen there right now. And the crazy thing to me is you mentioned how well he moves and how 
you know, it's just different than other offensive tackle prospects, the way he can change directions, the way he can get out and play in space. And with a guy like that, you assume hey, he's probably like 300 pounds and watching him. I'm like, man, he's probably like three, three Oh five, three ten. He is 330 pounds. This guy, he is not a small, you know, slightly built offensive tackle prospect. He's a horse and he's out there moving like a man, like I said, like, like a tight end, the way he plays in space and the way he can mirror these faster, you know, better edge rushers, but he's not built anything like a tight end from a weight perspective. He is just an absolute monster. Yeah. The, the sort of superlatives, the effusive praise, it's all, it's all there. Like there's, there's, there's not much more you can say about it. There's not a lot of weaknesses to this guy's game. Not at all. And something that Jeff mentioned, and he had some of the highest praise for Penny. So, but he also mentioned that he'd like to see him more in these, you know, kind of true pass sets. Something we speak to you removing yeah. play action, moving, rolling. That's Oregon's that offense. Stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's Oregon's offense. So he only had 212 pass blocking snaps where it wasn't a screen play action and on a straight drop back. And on those an 88.8 PFF pass blocking grade only allowed three total pressures. Still very impressive on those reps, but you'd still like to see more of those reps comparing to guys at Washington state, Abraham Lucas, the tackle there, 538 of those type of pass blocking snaps. It's a big yeah. reason why we were so confident in Andre Dillard coming out. Cause you saw the reps, you saw the experience on these NFL caliber pass blocking snaps. And he performed at such a high level. Jeff also spoke to wanting to see him polish a bit more. He obviously has areas to improve from a technical standpoint. What do you want to see improve for Penny? So is there ways he can improve? Because obviously still the tackle one. Yeah, that's the thing. Obviously, there's going to be room for improvement. You, you want to see him, he said, just get the reps, face better competition. Neither of those things is he really going to sort of do this upcoming season. So I don't have a lot of like problems with his game at this point, to be honest. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump to Alex Leatherwood, the other Alabama offensive tackle guy that was could have came out this past season, but ended up deciding to go back to school. Jedrick Wills Jr. ended up being the household name, the right tackle at Alabama that was drafted in the first round of the 2020 draft. What is your overall opinion of Alex Leatherwood? And if to start this conversation, compare him to Jedrick Wills Jr. I was going to say, even you saying compare him to Jedrick Wills Jr., I think that's why he ended up coming back last year to school or coming this past whatever spring and not going declaring to the drafts because it's impossible not to compare them on tape and not to see that Jurek Wills is just kind of a different caliber of athlete and different caliber of explosiveness to his game. That in no way, shape or form means that Jedrick Wills is going to be a better offensive tackle. And he was not, in my opinion, last year in terms of pass blocking. I thought Alex Leatherwood was the better pass blocker for Alabama, gave up fewer pressures last season for Alabama. Uh, so like, I, I think he could be the better pro. I, I think I've made this comparison before that he reminds me of Ronnie Stanley in Notre Dame off tackle as a prospect in that I, I'm not sure there's one rep you could put on tape where you're like, wow, look like, look at this rep from Leatherwood. Like th- this is, this is elite tackle play. You only had Agreed. three, what we call big time blocks last year. Jedrick Wills had 12. Like he was not. Uh, he was not near that caliber of just like, whoa, impressive highlight real plays, but snap to snap play to play is extremely consistent. And and one thing I didn't realize uh, until I was doing a little more research on this tack class was in that vaunted 2017 recruiting class that had Andrew Thomas, Makai Becton, Jedrick Wills, uh, Austin Jackson from last year, Isaiah Wilson, uh, even this upcoming Walker Little, 
uh, all these guys, Samuel Cosme, Alex Leatherwood was the consensus top tackle in that class. He was the top recruit. He was five star every service. Uh, people thought he was going to be that guy. Obviously, starts off at guard at Alabama before moving to tackle. I didn't quite realize that, but he, I mean, there's nothing to sort of dissuade me from that opinion that he's still a very damn good football player, but just was not, was not athletically and explosively on the level of the guys who came out last year and the Andrew Tom, you know, the top of the class. And so I think he's kind of trying to take one more swing at the bat to get into the top 10 uh, Mm -hmm. up in 2021. I think he can make end up there. I think that's how good this guy is. 100%. 100%. I, I think what, looking back and I watched specifically his reps against Caleb on chase on this past year and you see consistency in pass sets polish in his feet. I think his hand usage is very good. I'll tell you right now, Caleb on chase on did not beat that outside hand of Alex Leatherwood, except for one time on a, di- a well-timed dip. Other times that Alex Leatherwood got his hands on Caleb on chase on, you did not get off of them. His hands are very good in terms of sticking yes. two blocks and pass protection. Like Leatherwood, I think, again, I think Ronnie Stanley, a good comparison in that, you don't see like the high end Jedrick Wills foot, you know, foot speed and explosiveness. But what you do see is consistency snap after snap against good SEC competition. I think this guy's name is not going to be held in the same regard athletically as Jedrick Wills. But I, I think you're still going to look at him as one of the better offensive tackle prospects in this class. Um, mm-hmm. Jumping ahead to Walker Little. This guy was a chug a prospect candidate in the early days of two for one drafts because he got injured so early in the 2019 season. This guy was super impressive in 2018. And then in 2019 had high hopes, obviously an injury, you know, took down his season, but Walker literal, I think is a dark horse right now or an underrated tackle prospect because not a lot of people watched him last year due to the limited sample size, but this guy could come in and blow it up. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Walker little and going into 2019, a little hesitant to put him in that top group of tackles. Athletically, he is there. Like he is 6'7", 320. Uh, and another guy who just like, if you didn't know he was 320, you'd guess he's about 300 pounds because he's even like build wise looks like a tight end. Like there's no, he's not carrying any extra fat on his frame, uh, you know, over and above. He just is very svelte for a 320 pounder. Uh, but then in 2018, I had questions about uh, his pass sets were his just back foot. He struggled to gain depth. You would pick it up, put it right back down. That issue sort of subsided down the stretch. And then into week one of 2019, it just wasn't there. He was very, very a lot cleaner, a lot more technically sound in that regard. Uh, but then he injured his knee. Didn't give up single pressure against Northwestern in week one. Undisclosed knee injury. Not exactly sure what it was. Has not been released yet. We'll probably find out next spring. But I thought it was, I thought he looked like he could have been, you know, a top, top 10, 15 pick based off of that tape in week one. Uh, didn't get to see him the rest of the year, but I, I think he has all the athletic and sort of uh, physical tools you could want for the position. Now we just need to see, you know, here at PFF, we, we value big sample sizes. We need to see him pass protect at a high level over a long period of time. But in his last seven games, he's only allowed one pressure. So he's, he's very much improved since the start of his career there at Stanford. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think reps is what we need to see from Walker Little. And if we see the ones we expect, I mean, he's going to vault himself into that, you know, top top five offensive tackle conversation. You know, looking at his run blocking specifically, I mean, graded really well when healthy. I think Walker Little is a guy that, again, more people are going to know that name when he plays more football games and injuries don't keep him from the football field. Sam Cosme, Texas offensive tackle, not getting... 
I mean, getting more hype than uh, Derek Kirksetter, the other tackle at Texas, who's graded really well to start his career at Texas. But Sam Cosme, the games that come up for him, he's had some bad ones against good competition, but he's also graded really well in previous years against other competition. I mean, a guy, you know, obviously the Kalamon chase on game, he got mixed quite a bit. He had an opposite game to Alex Leatherwood in that he struggled to get his hands on uh, Caleb on. He struggled to keep his hands on Caleb on. You know, I, I think that those reps scare me with Cosme. What are the positives you see in Cosme? So he can move this guy. It's easy to see the movement skills. You walk, you even go back to the time he scored a touchdown against West Virginia last year. That's on right. like a throwback <laughs> screen. You get the ball in his hands. He was he looked like the guys had the ball in his hands before. Like maybe he played tight end back in the day, maybe running back as a kid, whatever. But he could actually like when he got up to speed, it was pretty impressive. So you see that athleticism, you see all of that. He just gets overpowered too often. 14 pressures last year on 595 pass blocking snaps. And, and that Texas offense, to its credit, he took a lot of true pass sets. Like he was tested a lot. And like that, oh, that game against Caleb on chase on, we talk about how he got kind of, you know, dominated on a handful of reps. He passed protected six, six times in that game. That's, you're going to, you're going to lose some reps. I don't care who you are. Uh, if you're going against Caleb on chase on six, six times. So that that's to be expected. But I think the breadth of work at this point at right tackle in 2018 as a redshirt freshman at left tackle this past year as a redshirt sophomore is very impressive, but just, he needs to get stronger. Six of his pressures last year, six of his 14 came via the bull rush or, you know, similar long arm to two arm, whatever, similar variants of just getting overpowered. That cannot happen for a top tier tackle prospect. If you want to go highly in the NFL draft, you're going to have to tick that strength box. No one wants to draft a guy highly and then be like, oh, now we have to get him in an NFL weight room for two years before uh, he's ready to make an impact. No, he needs to add that play strength. That's why he came back to school this past season. What's your opinion of Kerstetter, the other tackle from Texas? That's not rating? nearly uh, as athletic as Cosme. Uh, maybe a Blake, so. a Blake Brandle opportunity. <laughs> Blake Brandle <laughs> grading super well, but uh, the opposite, quite the opposite of an athlete. All right, press moving along here. Going to Jack Carmen, Cincinnati guy, right? When PFF first yes. started grading high school, and it's still something that's definitely in the development stages of you know looking at high school film, trying to gather good high school films where you can actually grade appropriately. Jack Harmon was one of those guys I know you've graded at the high school level that was just dominant, just just bigger, better, faster, more athletic than everyone he faced in Cincinnati. And now playing at Clemson uh, still continues to rise. Yeah, he went to Fairfield, I believe, uh, here in Cincinnati, graded him, had some just blocks on tape. I still have one on my phone that's just absurd, like, like straight <laughs> out of the blind side of the movie. Uh, was originally committed to Ohio State. I don't know how the hell Clemson got in there uh, and got Jack Carmen out of Cincinnati, but heck of a pull for them because he's pretty damn good. I mean, he is an ox of a tackle, 345 pounds, six foot five. Uh, oh, don't don't overpower <laughs> this guy. Another one of those type of guys. But man, he struggles getting out of his stance in pass sets. If you go back to his time against Charlotte's uh, Alex Highsmith, the guy. We were fans of, went to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the late third round. He just struggled to mirror that's to get basically get out of his stance enough with the speed that High Smith offered to then, you know, pass protect for his full move set to where, like, if you're struggling to get depth, you're always kind of a step behind against speed rushers like that. And then that's that's where they got you. That's when they got you. So he needs to improve on that. Uh, similar to kind of what I was mentioning with like Walker Little as a sophomore needs to really just like 
focus on that, but it's, it's more difficult when you're 345 pounds compared to 320 pounds, you might just never be able to get that sort of depth. So that's the worrisome thing here with me, for me with Carmen, but in terms of what he brings to table physically, like the power in his arms is pretty ridiculous. The power in his punch, like one shot and you're done with this guy. So, uh, it's the tools are there and and he is, you know, he can move for a 345 pounder, but we're just going to need to see that pass protection taken up a notch. Yeah. There's a couple things there. I mean, I think you see on tape, you know, going against juice, going against guys that can really get up field quickly. You saw some of the concerns in Carmen state, but talking to me about you. So you talk about Cosme guy who has the movement skills that can match and mirror some of the faster, you know, edge defenders at the college football level. And then you talk about a guy like Carmen who struggles to get out of his stance, will struggle with speed. Am I wrong to think where the NFL is going, you know, like you would rather be in Cosme's shoes than Carmen's because it's you are going against fast, explosive, jetpack type edge defenders game in and game out at the NFL level. If you struggle to get out of your stance, you're going to get blown by. While with Cosme, you obviously don't want to fall victim to the bull rush and get outpowered. But I think of the two evils, the lesser is the Cosme situation. Am I wrong to think that? That's what I that's my opinion of you can get a guy in a weight room and get him stronger to a degree. Uh, there's, you can't be an absolute, just, you know, you can't be a tight end and just all of a sudden be made into an offensive tackle overnight like that. There is a degree to which some guys just can't get to that level of strength, but I, I would take my chances with that rather than coaching a guy to be agile, coaching a guy to have, uh, to be, can't. to get quicker. <laughs> now, now he's 345 pounds. You can tell him to lose some weight for sure, but I'm not sure you can necessarily make him, uh, quicker. So that that's where I stand on the whole debate. And in this tackle class, I think it's a very good tackle class yet again. Like I said, last year was quite easily the best we've seen in our grading at PFF. I think this one, if all these guys end up declaring and, you know, build upon what they did last year and everything goes as planned, will probably be the second best tackle class uh, I've seen. And four first rounders, the four guys we mentioned previously, Sewell, Leatherwood, Cosme, Little, those guys are all going to have first round grades when the draft guide preseason draft guide drops August 10th. Oh man, you're already dropping the preseason draft guide. By the way, this thing's going to be awesome. A hundred players, I think two, two page profiles for each player. We're looking at grades and advanced data in the 2021 preseason draft guide that drops August 10th for all edge and elite subscribers. Very much looking forward to that. And, and for Carmen, last thing on Carmen, he's only a true junior this year. So yes. they, they, you do have that opportunity to come back and he's only earned he's on sub 73.0 PFF pass blocking grades over the past two years, uh, played a lot more at left tackle specifically this past season. If he doesn't significantly improve, you have to think about potentially him coming back for a senior season. All right. Yeah. And that's Ian. the other thing to also mention with these guys is that the age and the learning curve for tackle and anywhere along the offensive line in it's college <laughs> is massive, like is massive, like for him to be playing well as a sophomore, like. There are going to be things that are bad on tape, but it's like guys get better at pretty much every single year. It's rare to see guys go backwards at tackle, like have a have a really good year. And then all, all of a sudden, like they turn really bad. That, that will happen at maybe cornerback other positions. That doesn't necessarily happen at tackle or offensive line. So to see a guy be as good as he was, 75.9 pass blocking grade as a true sophomore, that is impressive. And it's only going to go up from there usually. All right, Notre Dame guy. Got to ring the bell here. See how much bias you got in Liam Eichenberg, left tackle from Notre Dame. 2018, 954 snaps played at left tackle, just a 63.1 overall grade, allowed 23 total pressures this past year. 
um, you know, 845, 869 snaps at left tackle and, and earned an, a career high 80.5 overall grade and an 85.6 pass blocking grade. St- did have 11 penalties, though. That is a yeah. lot of penalties, a big jump from the previous year. That's for damn sure. But what can you tell me about him? Six foot six, 308 pounds. Notre Dame has churned out some offensive line talent. Is this guy the next in line? His consistency got so much better this past season. You just had some lackadaisical reps on tape in 2018. His feet, though, were so much better this past year in terms of you want to see a guy in his past sets not have his feet off the ground for too long because your feet off off the ground, if you're really like shuffling out hard and like uh, taking big steps backwards, that's when you can't react quickly. He keeps his feet nice and tight, patters them, really quickly and is always on balance in terms of getting being able to react to inside moves to stunts that sort of thing i thought he got a lot better at that in 2019 solid frame 66 310 built well for the tackle he's just he's not at the level athletically and like strength wise as the guys we've set above him in this class like technically very sound to me he feels like your classic like uh kind of like almost mitchell schwartz coming out where he's just like he's just really good at a lot of different things, but there's nothing that's like going to get me too excited about him, whether it's athletically or strength wise. And then you got to be perfect in a lot of regards to be an elite tackle in the NFL. Mitchell Mitchell Schwartz Schwartz too. He he got to that level because he's so smart too. I mean, Jeff Schwartz talked about that too. And like, we've had conversations with Mitchell Schwartz about our grading process and how we can take it forward and those types of things. The guy knows his stuff. He is very, very smart, very, you know, um, studious of the game. And like, when you don't have ideal arm length, ideal athleticism, strength, et cetera, like you need to be perfect in your technique, perfect yeah. in how you approach the game in film study. And like, that is not easy. Like that is easier said than done. It like, yeah. and I guess it, it just makes it harder to, you know, become great. It's harder to be great when you don't have the athletic, you know, the gifts, the athletic gifts and those things. And, and that's kind of what Eichenberg feels like. And Schwartz went at the top around too. That kind of feels like how, where I would end up drafting Eichenberg if I were to have to do it right now is top of round two, middle of round two. He just feels like that kind of tackle to me. You mentioned uh, lackadaisical, and that was, I got a little sidebar here for you. When I was in high school, my football coach like hated when we were being lackadaisical, you know, call us like call us out for being lackadaisical, going through the motions, whatever me. There was one time I was a sophomore on varsity. We're practicing, and at, at the end of a practice, he says, You guys are so lackadaisical. You guys are going through the motions. My grandma could come out here and look better on the football field. And it was almost like word vomit. I said, is she hot? I, I said, I said, is she hot outside? And then dude was the most mad I've ever seen an adult in my life and had us running literally for like an hour after practice. But it was, it was a huge opportunity for me, but uh, it ended up not working out. The joke did not <laughs> land. Everyone in the, in uh, all the kids. Uh, that was a lackadaisical response. Yeah, but it was, it was rough. It was rough. I got, I ended up getting crushed for that. Varsity was not, our seniors were not super thrilled. Anyway, jumping to an absolute monster and the last offensive tackle we'll bring up on the pod here is I don't know how to pronounce this last name I'm gonna give it a shot Daniel Falele he's the Minnesota Falele the Minnesota offensive tackle that go watch I think it's the Wisconsin game you go watch the Wisconsin game and they show they take a picture of this guy (laughs) this poor guy Daniel Falele and they compare him to the size of like 10 goats, a motorhome. Like they like they literally like compare him to like all these monstrous things because he's six foot nine, 400 pounds. He looks like that that guy from um, 
uh, the longest yard, the guy, the, the big monster that like, he barely fits into his jersey. This guy is the size of like two refrigerators. And uh, kind of, but what's your opinion of his movement skills? Because sometimes it's you compare him to the other tackle there at Minnesota, who's also graded well. Uh, he he does not have the same movement skills, and the movement skills probably the movement skills you'd expect for a dude that's literally like a diesel out there. I would say so. He doesn't quite have that, but he doesn't look out of place. Like it's not yeah. like he's just. A, a lumbering like oh gosh who was it new mexico state had had like a 380 pound guard a couple years ago and just probably like four years ago i think and, and he literally just like could not move anywhere outside of like he looked out of place when he was trying to move that does not philele he's not obviously doesn't have elite sort of foot quickness or anything like that but he doesn't look out of place and makai beckton he's not at that level of movement skills either that beckton was not even close but again, he's 400 pounds. He's, he makes Mackay Becton look small, like with how dude, big so this dude big. is. And the interesting thing is he's not – he doesn't like overpower a lot of blocks, but he also like never moves backwards. Like you don't get into his chest and like you're not going to move the line of scrimmage on him. So he's just like difficult for smaller guys to get around. Like if you are a six foot two. Uh, 250 pound edge defender. You're just gonna struggle to even like touch his pads because that's how big he is. And I struggle to even try to put a round grade on him or a projection on him right now because he started playing football in 2017. So to give some background on Minnesota tackle Daniel Falale, Falale, I think I like Falale better. His background, he he was playing rugby in Australia in a small town or something. Went or I guess it was a small town, it was Melbourne when like Hawaii coaches were there on a recruiting trip and saw him said he should play football transfers to IMG Academy in 2017 plays football for the first time in his life, gets recruited, goes to Minnesota starts as a freshman there was actually uh, at right tackle and then started this past year at right tackle as well. So only been playing. It's only a sophomore, right? He was only a sophomore. Yeah. Only a true sophomore this past season. That's absurd. Improved by leaps and bounds. Goes from a 57.5 pass blocking grade as a freshman to 76.5 this past year. Like where he could end up. I don't even like he could be. He he could end up like a top 10 pick. I don't know. Like he's he's so (laughs) raw and so like unknown to the game and so different from anything I've ever seen before that I don't even like want to say what I think of them at this point, because it's going to be completely different in six months, but just know that this guy has different sort of athleticism and movement skills for your six, nine, 400 pounders. Yeah. Your, your standard six foot nine, 400 pounders. I mean, the run of the mill on the street, (laughs) that's six, nine, 400 pounds is not as athletic as Daniel Followay. There's tape of Falale in practices leading up to the, his true sophomore season where he started at right tackle, played over 650 snaps this past year for Minnesota, where they're handing him the football in practice at, at Minnesota's practices. I mean, this guy looks just ridiculous with the football in his hands. You can barely see it under his arms. He's, he's a very rare person, let alone offensive tackle. All right, let's jump to the interior offensive line now, make a little bit of a pivot here and talk about Tennessee's Trey Smith. This is a guy that has struggled to find the football field due to health concerns. He's had blood clots, I believe, in his lungs that have kept him from being medically cleared to see the football field, let alone like 
we've always talked about this. We've mentioned Trey Smith on this podcast before. Development, and you talk about the learning curve and age playing an importance in how you develop at the offensive staff. He has not had opportunities to develop into what he could be. This guy's, I believe, a former five-star recruit, one of the most coveted offensive line recruits over the past few years, and you just haven't given – he hasn't been given the opportunity due to health concerns to really develop and show what he could be. But I'll tell you this. This past year, most possibly – or highest percentage of possibly graded blocks in the run game – Penny Sewell, and then Trey Smith. This guy is an impact block waiting to happen. He is a road grader on the football field. And, and Jeff Schwartz said this too, and we'll get to the interview at the end of the pod. He would have been the best guard in the 2020 class, even with the limited sample size. Uh, that's possible. I, I'm still hesitant on him in terms of what I've seen in past, bro. He does. He has all the tools, just not quite the polish. And that's like to be expected with a guy who didn't have an offseason last year. Like he rolled into week one. That was the first time he was playing football in nine months uh, because of like, he just wasn't medically cleared, but the power in, in his upper body, I guess just like throughout his entire frame is, is out of this world. He had nine big time blocks last year. And what I love about him is that like, you can tell a lot from a guy's mindset when after uh, the guy he's blocking ends up on the ground, what his, what their next move is when the guy he blocks ends up on the ground, ends up on the ground. He then attempts to jump back on top of them on the ground. Like he wants them to go back into the ground again. He goes for that kill shot when the guy's already on the ground because he's just never done. His work is never finished until that whistle has blown. Maybe even after that whistle's blown a little bit, but that's the type of mentality he has, which going to make, you know, offensive linemen's wet dream, offensive line coaches wet dream. Like guys love that. And, and I love that as well in terms of like, that's the kind of mentality it takes then off the field to be the best uh, sort of at the position that you can be. So I do think Trey Smith with a full off season here, even though it's goddamn again for him, kind of a oddly shortened off season, he's probably not going to have as much development as he could have if coronavirus uh, would not have, you know, shortened all the spring practices and summer stuff. So unfortunate for him again, but I think if he comes out in 2020 here, he could have a monster and end up a top 15 sort of pick. Yeah. I mean, I just want to see this guy in the football field. I mean, he yeah. just hasn't had a ton of opportunity to do so. Do you think, I mean, cause I know there's someone who talked about him potentially being a tackle prospect. Do you think he could develop into that? Or do you think he stays put at guard this past year? He could. Yeah. Uh, cause I mean, shit, he played there as a freshman. He played him all over his freshman, which is absurd. He played 148 snaps at left tackle, 69 at left guard, 525 at right guard, and 23 at right tackle, which... My God. <laughs> yeah, which, come on. As a true freshman. Left, as a true freshman. And had a 71.3 overall grade, so pretty darn good there. Stuck at left tackle as a sophomore, but that's when the blood clots, I believe, first showed up. Ended up uh, taking a little bit of a step back there, but then finally got to stick at left guard this past season. I think he's best off at guard, but honestly, like, I don't know why they ever moved him to guard. I would have, for a college offensive lineman, I probably would have kept him at tackle from day one, but they kind of just flipped him all over. Uh, <laughs> they didn't really have a plan with him, apparently, there at Tennessee. But I, I, I do think either I would, if you're like one of those teams looking for that edge, I think drafting a guard and trying to get him at tackle could be, uh, he's could be one that could do it. All right, we're on to another interior offensive lineman coming out of Ohio State. I know a draft crush of yours in 2020 was Jonah Jackson, the Rutgers transfer to Ohio State, who ended up being one of the better prospect or guard, guard prospects on PFF's draft board. Wyatt Davis, six foot four, 313 pounds, only played 
239 offensive snaps in 2018, but this past year over 900 snaps played and 82.6 overall grade, 83.0 as a run blocker, ranked inside the top five and possibly uh, positively graded play percentage as a run blocker. This guy is, I think, going to be in contention for the top guard prospect in this class, if not top two up there with Trey Smith for sure. And he's just so consistent, Wyatt Davis. Uh, he didn't allow a single sack or hit all season long. And sometimes those kind of stats can be overblown. But if you go back and watch like his past reps, it's because no one really got him once like cleanly. No one really clowned him outside of one rep against Northwestern. When he lost, he still like was hanging on for dear life. Like, he was very uh, he has that balance that you love to see. He has that consistency in his base that you just need to win and pass protection at guard. So I'm a big fan of his game. I'm nowhere near the power that a guy like Trey Smith has, but uh, I think he could get stronger. It was only a redshirt sophomore last season. So he could have declared or decided to return back to Ohio state, but he, he's definitely one of my favorite guards in the class. I thought he could have been a day two early day two pick. If he came out last year, I, I think that's where I, I don't really see any of these guards just yet as first rounders, but I think they're like all of these guys we're going to talk about in the interior of this offensive line class, which I'm a big fan of the class. I think all are way like better than very, last year. Yes, I think all are very early day two guys, all these guys that we're going to touch on. Compare Wyatt Davis to Jonah Jackson for me. I, I'm sure their build, their build is a lot different. Jonah Jackson had that mini fridge tucked under his pads up top. But uh, what what's your opinion and compare Wyatt Davis and um, Jonah Jackson? So Davis is actually probably a little bit more powerful than Jackson. I mean, a little better athlete as well. Jackson was just like unbelievably consistent, though. Like no one could touch him in terms of just like how snap to snap he executed, went about his business. So uh, I think Davis, uh, for you know, for that reason, his ceiling could push higher. Like he could be better uh, as a prospect in time, but he just didn't have wasn't quite as consistent as Jonah was. All right, moving to Creed Humphrey. This is a guy that Jeff talked about a bit, a little bit. And, and obviously, the biggest thing with Creed Humphrey, 2018, over 800 snaps played at center for Oklahoma, earned a 78.9 overall grade, an 84.4 PFF pass blocking grade in his first year as a starter at Oklahoma. And then this past year dropped off quite a bit, you know, only, and he got buried, just absolutely destroyed by Bravion Roy against Baylor, an 8.3. PFF pass blocking grade in that championship game against Baylor this past year. Man, Bravion Roy put it to him. But what do you think the biggest difference was for Creed going from 2018 to 2019? And is it something he can bounce back from? Honestly, I think that was just like wrong guy, wrong day sort of thing. Like he was going up against the guy in Bravion Roy who, yes, he wasn't a great prospect for the NFL in terms of he's you know, six foot tall, has 30 inch arms. It's just like, <laughs> is an absolute, like a bowling ball of a human being. But that can be difficult to block as a center like that. That can be tough for one guy in one day. And Creed Humphrey is a high cut center. He is six foot five. That is way taller than your majority of centers, even in the NFL. That's a big center. And for he just could not get low enough to deal with Bravion Roy's power. So needs to get a little bit stronger. Uh, might end up at guard even in the NFL at that size. It's like it's, it is just tough to deal with those. You know, nose tackles are 340 pounds and a lot of them are pretty squatty and they're going to win that leverage battle. And if you can't deal with that, you're going to have to maybe kick outside the guard. But I love Humphrey's hands. He has very good hands. I wrote down here. He's like a rodeo cowboy with how he hangs on. Uh, he latches on hand placement is very good for a center. But truthfully, I do think that it was the biggest thing going from 
2018 and 2019 was just like he he faced a couple of guys that he just struggled to deal with. Yeah, that's all. I mean, it's going to get better with experience. Eight of his 12 pressures came in two games last year. So. All right, let's jump to Tyler Lindenbaum, the Iowa interior offensive lineman. He's a late Lindenbaum. Sorry. Yeah. Um, he's a late add to the 2021 draft guy. I went back and watched him and, um, you know, obviously, I mean, impressive enough tape to get in there, fit in the top 100 here. So the, f- so I didn't want to include him at first cause he is 270 pounds. He's I'm like, he's, he was a redshirt <laughs> freshman last year, 270 pounds and was his first year playing offensive line. He was redshirted as a freshman came into Iowa as a defensive lineman, Tyler Linderbaum. He is not, like he is not big at all. So I'm like, all right, this guy, like, there's no way he's going to declare for the draft, right? Like at that size, like he's going to take like another couple of years. Uh, he's not going to declare as a redshirt sophomore who's, you know, maybe, maybe gets up to 280 this upcoming year. But I think he legitimately might. The more I watched him, he is obviously at 280. Like he is the most athletic offensive lineman probably right now in college football in the way he moves. He flies around the football field. He had a block against Rutgers where they kind of ran a little, counter uh misdirection play where he he takes one step right and then pulls back out to the outside left and he just like lines up this safety who just didn't see like didn't didn't realize this guy was going to be flying you know probably running downhill at him probably Linderbaum probably runs like a sub four eight right now the guy like can absolutely get out and move and just clocks him uh, he has rare movement skills for a center if he can maintain that while adding some weight to his frame uh I'm very intrigued by what he could be, but also already like, and how well he used his hands for only a retro freshman first year playing the position uh, at the college level. There was a lot to like, again, I'm not sure he comes out this year, but he has, he has rare ability. I'll just say rare athletic and technical ability already. Two things there I want to comment on one to, to provide more context for that 270 pound number he's listed at Nick Harris and Keith of, of Washington and Keith Ishmael, the San Diego state uh, center were two of the more undersized interior offensive linemen, super athletic because they were undersized that were at the, the senior bowl. And those guys are still over 300 pounds. <laughs> like yeah. those guys are still, you know, more than 300 pounds listed at like Tyler Linderbaum, 270 is light. In addition to that, the other thing, if you're getting playtime, 860 snaps at Iowa at 270 pounds on the interior offensive line, like you obviously are doing something right because Iowa does not trot out losers. Iowa yeah. does not put people on the football field or offensive linemen specifically on the football field unless you can play. So to play above, literally punch above your weight to the point where Iowa is putting you on the football field and starting you at center, I think is also super impressive and probably speaks to a lot of the off field, the character, the leadership, the mentality that we don't see necessarily in day in, day out. So I, I, this is a guy I really want to watch. Maybe not a guy that comes out for the 2021 draft because he obviously there's so much to add to his frame, like quite literally add to his frame. Mm-hmm. But again, 80.0 pass blocking grade this past year in his first year starting in the Big Ten at Iowa that, that is super impressive for me. Only nine pressures allowed. And you have to think he's going to continue to get better. So um, an impressive prospect. Last guy we'll bring up before we close out the pod here is USC's Elijah Vera Tucker. Looking at the grading profile, he's graded super well in pass protection, specifically on those kind of true pass sets types with straight dropbacks, no play action, no screens. He's also, I mean, he's also done a very good job as a run blocker at USC. I think Elijah Vera Tucker I think I've seen his name floating around for the 2021 class, but um, what, what's your opinion of him? So, okay, I was saying on our board right now, we have Wyatt Davis as our top center. 
or top interior offensive line, excuse me. Between the difference between him and Elijah Vera Tucker, like so minimal in my mind. And, and that's like one through five. We just kind of listed on our interior offensive line rankings. The difference between though these five in my eyes, there's, there's not much. This is a very good offensive interior offensive line class. All these guys, like I just like kind of abstractly, like I said, would be at like the top of the second round grade somewhere, you know, 30 to 50 on the draft board. They're all very similar range for me. And Vera Tucker, he, he could easily end up being at the top interior off the line prospect on our board when it come around next year. Only allowed seven pressures all last season, 590 snaps, very good blend uh, of power and athleticism to his game. Uh, his pass sets are, are pretty darn good. Like they're pretty consistent already. I'm surprised that this guy, I, I didn't even like hear his name in terms of like considering going out in 20, uh, 20 draft. Cause uh, he was a, a red shirt sophomore last year, but it was only his first full year of playing time. Really only 141 snaps prior in his career back in 20, 2018. So uh, it's just a very clean prospect. Uh, not, not quite as uh, like differentiating between him and Wyatt Davis. I, I don't think he's quite as consistent in in the run game, but I will say that he's still a very good prospect in his own right. All righty. That's going to do it for the interior offensive line um, or interior offensive line and offensive tackle, the offensive line overview podcast. We're going to go ahead and jump to the Jeff Schwartz interview. But before we jump to that, because we'll close with the interview with Jeff Schwartz, which I encourage all of you to stay tuned for. I got a little bit of a teaser, Mike, for next week's pod where we go over defensive line. Are you ready for it? Yes. I've got Calais Campbell coming on the podcast next week to talk defensive line, to talk, you know, the evaluation of that. He's been a big fan of PFF for a while now. It's going to be great to get him on the podcast and talk about, you know, his role because he plays a very versatile role. You know, he's played edge defender at times. He's been kicked inside. He's also a monster. Uh, going to be interested to get him on the podcast. So I encourage you to tune in next week. Podcast will jump drop next Wednesday Defensive line overview for the 2021 NFL Draft and an interview with Calais Campbell. And and if you don't give a shit about Calais Campbell, he has one of the all-time voices. Like getting oh, him yes. on a podcast with oh, that yes. voice <laughs> is the perfect <laughs> medium for him. It sounds like like the God of Thunder almost. It's like I don't know what the God of Thunder sounds like, but I think it would be close to what Calais Campbell brings to the table. So that will be very much uh, a lot of fun there. But that's going to do it for the Wednesday edition offensive line overview. Let's kick to the Jeff Schwartz interview. Joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is former NFL offensive lineman Jeff Schwartz, and I also throw this in there: Twitter guru. I think you do Twitter really well, Jeff. I think following you for a while now, it's a perfect combination of body bags, if you will, and then also some really insightful information on offensive line play. Jeff, really great pleasure to have you on Two for One Drafts. Glad to be here. I just wish I got I got paid for those tweets more. That would be that would that would make my life a lot easier. But uh, I enjoy doing it and. Um, Oh, just guess it kills time for me sometimes, especially right now. Kills time for Mike too. I know Mike spends a, a decent amount on Twitter scrolling are, through. But <laughs> are you uh, are you the only offensive lineman with over a hundred thousand followers? It's not really a sexy position to get you know to rack uh, up those followers. Ross Tucker, I think, has has okay. it as well. Um, I yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to go my Instagram following. That that's been that's been a little bit of trouble. I mean. <laughs> Offensive line takes aren't really uh, firing on, on the Instagram machine. So, uh, yeah, not a lot of offensive line with a lot of followers. I what mean, Taylor Luan probably has has a bunch too. I'd imagine. Have you tried shirtless pics on Instagram? That works for me. 
<laughs> yeah, but I, I don't really don't think we have the same bodies. <laughs> what kind of content are, should users expect on Jeff Schwartz Instagram? Well, so I've just transitioned to just putting pancake videos every day. Like that's like my okay. new thing. I just find like a video, and but people seem to like those. I mean, that's pretty much. Look, I like to cook, and I'll post cooking. I mean, my brother posts all the time. He gets like a million likes every picture. I post a food picture, <laughs> I get like three likes. So I guess a perk of winning the Super Bowl. So um, I'm working on uh, I'm working on getting some more followers on Instagram. So food, pancakes, I, a little bit of family here and there. Not really. I, I I get a lot of likes when I post a photo of my wife. So maybe I'll continue to do that. That works too. Uh, all right. Well, and jumping in here on uh, two point drafts, we really look at the NFL draft, evaluating players at the college level, while also seeing that transition as rookies and beyond. I wanted to ask you specifically when you are watching offensive linemen, and I know you watch a ton of tape at the NFL level and college level, what traits or abilities are you looking at first? Which ones do you want to identify as key strengths if you're looking at one of the better offensive linemen, whether it be at the NFL level or college level? Mike's already laughing because he knows my answer is going to be finished, and he absolutely <laughs> hates that word as he gets in lots of arguments with lots of other people that I like and follow. And again, guys, finish for you guys when you're grading is, is just a plus, right? Okay, they did their job. But that's really what sets apart the good linemen from the great linemen. It's being able to move your guy consistently from point A to point B against their will. It's not a pancake every time. People think a finish is just every time you knock someone down, you bury him. Yeah, that's great. But that doesn't happen often, especially in the NFL. It's just being able to execute your block better than everyone else all the time. And that's what finish kind of encompasses. So when you look at guys on film that can do that consistently, it's pretty noticeable, much more in college than the NFL. Then you start looking at, at why that is, right? What are their physical traits? Do they stay between their man and the ball, which is a huge deal in the run game or in the pass game, more um, you know, more specifically in the pass game. And then you look at specific things. To me, a lot of it's how your hips operate. Do you, do you unlock your hips on contact? Are your hands and feet underneath where they're supposed to be? Things like that. It gets very specific then. But look, if you cannot block your guy longer than he obviously tries to get to the ball carrier or get to the quarterback, you're not going to be good at any level. And so that's what I look for first is being able to finish, guys. So I, I'm obviously the known finishing hater in terms of the actual <laughs> act of putting a guy on the ground, I think is overrated. I, I don't think that part is necessary, but I think the act that's underrated is simply as a sustaining a block. The guy, can you keep your hands on the guy and basically ride out that block no matter what? And the guys with good balance, in my opinion, is the underrated trait that not a lot of people talk about that some guys have and some guys don't. And I think it's what are your thoughts on do you think it's even a coachable trait to be able to that like you said the sustaining the finishing kind of like that gray area there is that coachable or is that something that just like guys have or don't so you might not like pancakes but what you describe is finish moving okay your block like that's what finish is sustaining <laughs> yeah. your block and yes it gets amplified when there are pancake videos i get that it's part of it and we do like those videos a lot because it's hard to do I, mean, I think people think that it's easy to do and that's why it's hard that's why guys get fired up when, when there's a pancake i think balance is what I'm talking about with with kind of your hips, because okay. you, you you can't finish a guy unless you do have that base underneath you and your hips your hips kind of drive into the block, right? You you get that that hip rotation and that explosion, and so balance can be coached in my opinion. Now, guys, some guys are naturally better at it. Okay, there's no surprise. People, I was not very good at finishing at times. And also I play top heavy. So you can coach yourself to bend your knees a little bit more, to have your base in the right place, to have your hands in the right place. It's all part of finishing your block. You cannot finish blocks with poor technique and balance. I think encompasses all those things combined together. There's not one thing I could say, Hey, if you get better balance by doing this, it's all those together in my opinion, but balance. Yes. You definitely see that the balance, especially when guys redirect to keep moving and finishing a guy is based off of everything I just mentioned. 
Yeah, we've even had NFL teams in the past ask us specifically, you know, when looking at balance for offensive linemen, ask us about how often is an offensive lineman on the ground? You know, yes. how, how, how often is an offensive lineman, you know, falling on their face in those things? Because they see it as super valuable to have the flexibility and the balance to stay up, regardless if it's a run block or pass block, trying to stay up and sustain blocks. So that's very interesting. It's to tough to block on the ground. Uh, yes, it is. Or... It really is tough to block <laughs> on the ground. Um, I, getting to the NFL and obviously knowing, you know, who are the best finishers yeah. in the NFL? Who do you think are the best offensive linemen in the NFL? Give me some names. And if not one name who you feel like is the best offensive lineman in the NFL right now. So there's the people putting out these lists, right? Like there was a list the other day. ESPN did like a redraft of the, they had every player drafted. And <laughs> okay. So like, like Teron Smith was not drafted the, the number one tackle. I, I don't understand that. Like to me, he's a, he's a hall of fame player. We know that already now health is a concern, obviously, but if you're building offensive linemen in a factory, that's who the guy here you're building. 1000% times arms go down to his knees. He's physical. He's athletic. I think another guy on his offensive line that for some reason gets constantly overlooked. I think he's the best offensive lineman. I felt Zach Martin. Zach Martin has made all pro every single year of his career. That's all he does. And people are obsessed with Quentin Nelson. I get, I love Q. He finishes very well, but Zach Martin is the most consistent offensive lineman in the NFL. He's consistently the best every year at his position in the NFL. So to, to me, Zach Martin, obviously, and for some reason, I feel like my brother gets, doesn't get the love he deserves. I know you guys definitely praise him, but like, I just don't feel like people understand how good he is still. It's just, it's surprising to me uh, that, that, that that's still the case. Um, I know Jason Peters is old AF, but dude can, you can ball, man. He, he is, he is so good. Um, and these are a couple of guys I don't think they get, still don't get the respect um, they deserve, you know, for the young guys, obviously Quinn Nelson, he's, he's very good. Obviously Mike McGlinchey, I think is a very good player with the four and Orlando Brown. I, Orlando Brown, I didn't think was going to be good in the NFL. I, I watched his college tape. I was concerned about, he reminded me a little bit of Eric Flowers when you watch his college tape, and he's turned out to be much better of a player than uh, than I thought he'd be. I have two things there. One, you bring up Teron Smith, and you talk about arm length, and you know arms you know, practically touch the ground. I'd be interested to know, you know, your opinion of arm length and its importance at, at tackle and even at guard. You know, knowing that length is something that you know scouts obviously covet. And the other thing that you mentioned there too is Orlando Brown, and from the studies that we've done at PFF, you know. A lot of play action, a lot of moving pockets and that stuff, which can protect offensive linemen at yes. times. I guess for the first question, you know, how important is arm length at the tackle position? And if you don't have it, what are ways to you know overcome that? And two, how much does offensive scheme come into protecting offensive tackles when you see like an offense like Louisville, where there's so much boot action, so much play action, so much moving tight ends and all that stuff? I'd be interested to know those two questions. Well, arm length is interesting. So Joe Thomas put this the best. I'm going to steal this straight from him. He said that arm length is interesting how we measure it because we measure it from from the you know from the kind of the joint here all the way to the tip of your of your finger. So let's say you have just sh a little shorter hand. Your arm is technically going to be shorter, even though from like wrist to 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 top of the elbow might be the same as someone oh, wow. else. So mm -hmm. it's like it, it's almost like it doesn't actually matter very much because if you just have a smaller hand by half an inch then your arms are shorter, but they actually kind of might not be really. So he makes a really good point about that. I'm not sure that really matters as much. I and mean, we've seen guys with smaller arms be able to do it. Now, the reason why it's an issue people feel, and I, I get why they do it, is because you want to make contact before the defender makes contact on you. So if you have longer arms, in theory, you should be able to do it. But 
defensive ends one arm bull rush. It doesn't matter how long your arm is if they one arm bull rush you. Like it doesn't matter. They, you know, are your arms fifty five inches long? No. So it's a it's a matter of how do you use your hands. Are you good with your hands? Are you good at knocking stuff off? Are you good at at, at like balance? Right, balance of pass protection. Are you good at making sure that you, that you finish? Like things like are you good at that type of stuff instead of arm length. And uh, the second question is really interesting because you know, we saw last year the Baltimore Ravens offensive line, especially uh, Ronnie graded really highly, right? Obviously, because I think play action pass and the style of offense is a huge reason why players can succeed or not succeed in the NFL. I know we talk Absolutely. a lot about play action pass and, and why that it is and the origins of it, but I'm telling you guys, as someone who, who has played and done, I love to play action pass, pass protect because I would just sell the run. I would just do it. I'd just sell out on the run. And if you do that, especially when you know the guy's not going to move at all, which you can tell by, by the defense, they slow down. They stop moving. Their feet stop. And if their feet stop because they're looking to see where the – when the ball is, you've won the rep. You've won the rep. And so I think play action pass definitely uh, is helpful to, to playing to playing well. And also, look, if you have Lamar Jackson as your quarterback, teams have to rush you differently. They have to do it. It doesn't really take away from the way the Baltimore offensive line played, right? They're extremely talented players. But I do think that scheme does matter. I think I think one of them, I don't know which player on the line admitted it. He was like, yeah, like it, it does matter. It does help me that, that I'm in offense. It runs the ball so much, and then we and, and then we play action pass uh, so often. I love play action pass. I, guys should really lean into it. I, I know young players. I talk to them about it. They're like, I don't know if I should. No, just sell run, man. Just do it because – D linemen are going to stop. I know they might move, but that's your job to look at the defense before the snap and see what they're doing. Yeah, that's the thing that a lot of people sort of gets overlooked with the play action game is that it works just no matter, like it just works based because the defensive rules. Defenses have to play run first. Like that is, it yeah. works just wholesale. Uh, it doesn't matter if you have a bad running game, you can't just abandon your fits as a defensive lineman. So, uh, I'm with you there with the play action game, but let's kick it to the college ranks because you're an Oregon guy yes. and We've been effusive in our praise of Panay Sewell, the Oregon left tackle, true sophomore last year, highest graded offensive lineman in all of college football. How how good is he? Best prospect since who are we talking about here? Uh, I think since Joe Thomas. Um, I, I think he is so smooth. He finishes. It's it's incredible to watch him play, and and he's still so young. He's 19 years. He'll be 19, I believe, heading to next season. Um, he's still a guy that really has a lot of room to grow. We talk about hip explosion and the ability to finish blocks. That's that's Panay Sewell. If you watch him out in space, there's something very noticeable about, about players like him to understand what they're doing with their body. So when he gets out in space, there's a block against Auburn where he flattens a defender on a screenplay. Notice how he runs up to the guy and then at the point of contact, he kind of settles his feet a little bit and then boom, attacks him. Be quick, but don't hurry, right? Like he's not in a rush. He's never in a rush. And then pass protection wise, obviously his hands are really good. He's very good at recovering. His hips are very good at kind of giving him the tip, as they say, um, in, in pass protection with his hips. But a couple reasons why I think he's going to excel in the NFL. One is that he really wants to be great. I've talked to him before. I know people that have talked to him. He wants to be great. He takes coaching really, really well. He's always looking to improve. He's finding new ways to get better as well, which obviously um, is supremely important to the offensive line position, the ability to, to just continually improve and not be complacent because for him, it's going to be easy next year. It's going to be really easy for him next year uh, to uh, to do that. And I do think there is a lot of room for growth. One area for, for growth, in my opinion, is he's just got to bend his knees a little bit better in pass protection. I think if you see sometimes in pass protection, his knees just aren't quite – 
as fluid as they should be. And part of it, in my opinion, is Oregon the previous two years has not had a lot of drop back pass protection reps. And this is the hardest part, in my opinion, of scouting college offensive linemen to the NFL. In the NFL, you're going to pass protect 25 to 30 times a game, right? In college football, you might have five true pass protection reps all game, like where it's drop back pass. I think I counted in the Utah game, he had three. Three all game. Now, Oregon was up most of the game. Plus, he had three. Or maybe it was Wisconsin game. It was, it was one of those games. He just had three just normal third and eight yeah. on pass protecting someone. And so that, I hope, and they have a new OC that will see more of that. I don't think he can't do it, but I just want to see more of it. And I think that that will help just kind of solidify his game. Because that, that to you talked about scheme on the, on, the call, on the NFL side. On the college side, that's a big problem that I think we the coaches and scouts have not figured out yet is that – you have these schemes in college that are nothing like the NFL. And they don't do any blocks like, like the NFL. That all of a sudden you ask them to come to the NFL and do NFL blocks. It's really, really hard to do that. So um, I, I'm just excited for Panay to keep growing and, and keep uh, keep um, hammering away. No, for sure. And I think Mike would agree with you that you kind of want to see more of those kind of true pass sets at the offensive, you know, at the college level. I remember bringing up, you know, Washington State's uh, Andre Dillard. He had a ton yeah. of these true pass sets where you can feel pretty confident about his projection, the next level, and how he performed on those. And with Penny Sewell, Mike make fun, makes fun of me all the time because I value the interview process and how much a player wants it, how much a player, you know, actively is pursuing to get better. And I'm glad you bring that up. With Panay, so I'd be interested to know from you, like, how important do you think that interview process is, you know, for NFL scouts? How important do you think it is knowing that player and understanding his goals? I know yeah. Bucky Brooks says understanding his why, why he wants to be great in the NFL. I value it 100 percent, but I'd be interested to know from you, you know, kind of what your opinion of the interview yeah. process is and what role it plays. Well, I think it's more to make sure just guys don't screw it up because mm -hmm. you're, you're pretty well prepped heading into those interviews, especially at the combine. And you know you have to sell your love of football. And it's pretty sincere for most guys. I mean, most guys love to play. There are guys that are just good, and they're just good at playing, and they're not terribly great at the – you know, I mean, not terribly great, but they just don't love playing the game. They love – you know, they love the fame of it. They love how it makes them feel. They love the women. They don't love the game. Most guys can answer questions fine. Hey, do you love the game? Yes, I love it. Here's why I love it. They're all coached to do that. So I think it's more about guys just not screwing those up. And if you come into a meeting with a team and you blow it, then clearly you can't take instruction. And clearly yeah. you don't really love the game. And so I think that's where the concern comes. I think more it's a really – the importance of what your coach says about you. So I know, because I know the, the coaches in Oregon, they're going to speak very highly of Panay Sewell. If a coach calls them and says, hey, what do you think of Panay? They're going to tell you, dude strives to be great. He's relentless on the practice field. He's a great teammate. Obviously still has room to grow, but he really wants it. And, and that really, I think, in my opinion, gets told over your college football season. The interview, again, it's great. But I, I thought I did well in my interviews. I was a seventh-round draft pick. Like in the end, the film – really is important. But I think it's more about not screwing up. The combine to me has been more about guys just not screwing up than guys doing so well that they jump up two or three draft rounds. It's more about the other way, right? Where guys screw up and drop three rounds because they obviously, you know, they failed interviews. They got a drug test problem. They didn't run as well. It's never been about guys doing great. It's just more about guys, I think, in my opinion, failing a little bit. Yeah, I think that's that's actually you know really good take. I know there's another offensive lineman you want to bring up. It's Trey Smith of Tennessee, oh. a guy that has struggled to find the football field, but is freakishly talented. I think he's battling, I think, blood clots in his lungs, something that he's been struggling to find the football field because of that. But yeah. 
what is your opinion of him when fully healthy? Because when this guy does get on the football field, whether it's at tackle or at guard, you've seen a ton of success with Trey Smith. Yeah, I know. I, I hope his medical conditions get cleared up. I think he, he was close to declaring for the draft this year. And if that would have been the case, he definitely would have been drafted as the first guard. I mean, there was no, there was no doubt yeah. about it. It was a bad year for interior offensive linemen. Next year should be a lot better. There's a kid at Ohio State. There's a center at, at Oklahoma that are really good as well. I mean, Trey Smith is, again, He's just nasty. He came as a true freshman, was balling. He was dumping guys. He was physical. I think as we've seen the refinement of his technique now, we've seen him get more skill with his hands, especially pass protection, hand placement, and just being able to physically maul guys. He plays in a conference that produces NFL defensive linemen. It's not hard to watch his film and say, yeah. hey, look, he's facing a guy who's going to be a first-round draft pick at three techniques. So I think you're seeing a, a guy like him who can move really well. You see him out, get out in space, but just the nastiness. I know you guys hate that word, but it's just I like, don't hate I, it. I don't hate it. Like it's, it's, and, and Mike described what, what finish is. I think that's the, that's mm-hmm. the part that, that the diehard guys, like the diehard football, you know, nerd offensive line guys don't really mm-hmm. say very well. It's not always a pancake. It's just moving yeah. your guy to point it from point A to point B against their will. And Trey Smith is really good at it. So is Panay Sewell. So is Creed Humphreys. And so is, I think it's Wyatt Davis here from Ohio State. Yeah, Wyatt Davis was really impressive this past year. I know watching the Jonah Jackson tape, you see yeah. Wyatt Davis, what he can bring to the table. All, I mean, that's all we wanted from you, Jeff. I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate the insight. We'll have to get you back on the podcast as we get closer to the season, maybe even inside the college football season. Really excited to see how Panay Sewell develops. I hope Trey Smith can find the football yeah. field and continue to develop. But thanks again for coming on the podcast. Take care.